Hey, you are tuned into the Bold Church podcast. My name is Yasmin Ruhi. I am one of the lead pastors here. We're so excited that you can join us for today's talk. We hope it blesses you. We hope it encourages you. And if you find it useful, go ahead and send it to someone else whose day you can bless. If you want to join us, we meet live every Sunday morning. If you want to find out our times or where we're meeting, head to our website at bold.church or head to our Instagram at boldchurch. SV. Thank you so much and enjoy today's talk. Good morning. Good morning. If we have not met, because many of you are new, my name is Ali. And uh, the, the, the heart, the ethos behind this conference was really God, God spoke to my wife and I uh, in a season of doubt, in a season of pain. And uh, I, I was using this language like, our church is dead. And God's like, son of man, can these bones live? And he took me to Ezekiel 37. He said, prophesy to the dead bones, and, which means just give it the word. And, and then he says, prophesy to the breath, which, which, which means give it the spirit. And that is the ethos and heart. And last night, Russell, he spoke to the heart. Anybody love last night? <laughs> Loved it. The goal for the next two sessions, and I don't want to speak for Chris, but I, I'm, I'm trying to speak to the mind. Because if you want orthopraxy, you need proper orthodoxy. And uh, I swallowed a microphone, so I'm going to yell. I can't get it out of me. But let me show you today's, uh, the, the, the ethos, the, the scripture I'm going to preach a lot from and keep referencing. Can I, we just stand for a moment for the reading of God's word? Because my hope is that you would walk out not learning something new, but you would have a new reverence. And you'd see this very, very different. You'd see it the way that Jesus sees it. It says, nothing else is like God's decree or like God's word. Anybody thankful for the Bible? Come on. Isn't my message like fire? And I love this. It says, isn't it like a sledgehammer bursting a rock? They, they say that 40% of us, 40 to 60%, you can sit down, 40 to 60% of us are what are called audible learners. You learn when someone talks about it. Someone say, talk about it. Then there's 60 to 80% of you, you are visual learners. And then there's 20% of you, you just don't, you never learn. We're just praying for you. Uh, but what this is saying is, is, is often we think like when we hear deconstructionists, when we hear scientists, we hear archaeologists, the, the, the thought, the, the ethos of this culture, the, that, that when it attacks the Bible, when it tries to invalidate the Bible, that the, those arguments are stronger than the scriptures. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. My word is the sledgehammer. So I want to show you, I don't know what's going to happen. So if the first row dies, please email me at chris at theosu.com. Because it ain't me. But I want to show you visually what God's word does to those things. It's plastic. Didn't break. But more importantly than breaking arguments, the word of God can break the hardest thing in the universe. Things that guns can't break, lasers can't break, the atomic bomb can't break. It's the human heart. That only the word of God can soften a prideful, fearful, shameful heart. But the problem is, do you believe that? Gallup did a study where they said 24% of Christians who go to the church believe this is the word of God. This is the, that means one out of four believe this is God's word. Three out of four of you are idiots, apparently. 
And then for the first time in 40 years, they said 26% of the church, more than who believe this is God's word, they, they think this is just fairy tales, spiritual mother goose tales. question is, where are you? And how, how do I speak to a culture? How do I speak to a church where more people in the church believe this is just stories than the word of God? There's three approaches, and I've been speaking to deconstructionists for 10 years, and I finally feel like I have an argument to Silencio Bruno, those, those people. For those of you that don't speak Italian, it's Cayete. And the option number one is this. Start with questions and problems that people have with the Bible. And the problem with this is you have to start with slavery. You have to start with women in ministry. You have to start with racism. You have to start with uh, violence and the unbelievable miracles. And the problem is you're trying to prove the whole with a part. And it doesn't work. Because the whole time you're defending, you're defending and defending instead of proclaiming. Option number two, and many Christians inadvertently do this, it's I'm going to start with what the Bible says about the Bible. And the problem with this is that it's circular. The reason you believe in reason is because you're rational. The reason you believe in the Bible is because you're biblical. But what do you do when you don't believe? And I finally feel like I have a good argument. Spirit of God, help me. We're going to start with Jesus. What does Jesus say about the scriptures? How does he view the scriptures? The way that he trusts, the way that he loves, the way that he depends, the way that he looks up and sees it as authoritative and good. Listen, I want to do the same thing. I'm going to say something radical. I don't believe in Jesus because the Bible tells me to. I believe in the Bible because Jesus tells me to. Because I can tell you story after story. The previous ministry I was a part of, there are a million Muslims coming to faith in the Middle East and they, they don't even own a Bible. But how does Jesus see this thing? Which is why the title of my sermon is simply this. What does the Son of God say about the Word of God? Because whatever he, however he sees it, I want to see it. Let me pray because I, I got a lot to try to prove this morning. God, thank you so much, Lord, for what you did last night through Pastor Russell. I pray, God, that you would speak through every speaker, including myself, Jesus. God, even though I'm speaking to the, to the mind today, give me unction. Give me passion, God. May we walk out of this room not with more information but transformation. We want to look more like you, Jesus. We want to talk more like you. We want to think more like you. Jesus, we want to see the scriptures the way that you did. And if you believe that, everybody said, everybody said, come on in bold ethos. We, we get loud. This tribe has a vibe. Can we give it up for Jesus? I need to begin with the story of Scripture because when God created the world, he didn't use his hands. He used his words. Ten times in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, he says, God said, God said, God said. And God said, and there was light. God said, and there was the animals, and Nemo and Ariel were there. And God said, and there was Simba and Puma. And then God said, these are my humans, male and female. He said, go be fruitful and multiply. But then God said and clearly said, don't eat from this tree. But the problem was there was another preacher. The first war in the Bible is not a war of drones or lasers or even swords. It's a war of he said, she said. And the serpent came preaching another sermon. And he said, did God really say? Are you going to let your life be limited by your feelings? 
And apparently Adam and Eve, they, they listened to the second preacher and death came. And God, our God is a speaking God and he has not stopped speaking. And he spoke to Adam and Eve that one day there would be one that would come and rescue them. The first prophecy of Jesus in the scriptures. And God throughout the Old Testament, which I love as much as the New Testament. Some of you Christians only love the, the red letter. Come on. If you want red letter, dip the whole thing in blood. Because it's all about him. And God spoke to Abraham, God spoke to Moses, and God spoke to David. The problem was, just like Adam and Eve, Abraham didn't listen, Moses didn't listen, David didn't listen. And one day God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And said, listen to him. And the very first thing Jesus did, he didn't feed the homeless. He didn't go after the widow and the orphan. He didn't heal the blind, the lame. He preached, he proclaimed. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I have come to proclaim. Someone say, proclaim. Good news to those who are oppressed. I came to proclaim. Someone say proclaim. Freedom for those who are in bondage and set the captives free. And Jesus began his ministry with preaching. Because the battle of the Bible is always which preacher are you going to listen to? I need you to write this question down. Whose words you listen to will determine the life that you live? They have never stopped preaching. The question for you this morning is which preacher will you listen to, Jesus or Satan? And they're both preaching. Some of them are on TikTok. I learned how to dance on TikTok. I don't get my theology on TikTok. And I show us, yeah. But what? But I can't convince you. I don't. I, I can bring argument after argument of why we should trust this from archaeology. and Those are all good and valid arguments. Why prophetically it's valid, scientifically it's valid, historically. But I want to talk about what Jesus says about this thing. Because if he values these things, I want to value this thing. Y'all ready? Number one, Jesus says the Bible is supreme. Someone say supreme. Not the clothing. In terms of influence and authority in our life. So you got to go back to the very first battle between the first preacher and the second preacher. And when Satan comes, he attacks the authority of God's word. Watch with Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. He says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made because he was a Lakers fan. Come on. Now he said to the woman, did God really say? And Eve said, I think he said something. I can't touch it. She added to God's word because she didn't study it. She said, it looks good. My feelings say I should try it. And crunch. Someone say crunch. She ate it. And then God says this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock on the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. There will be a battle. There will be warfare between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. But the, the promise is this, he, not humanity, but one person, he will crush your head, crunch. What, what, what the first crunch caused, the second crunch will reverse. And you will strike his heel. And that, that, that seed was promised to Abraham, came through the, the lineage of Judah, came through the scepter of David, and found its fulfillment in a 14-year-old girl with braces. Listen to Justin Bieber. Mary, and the seed was inside of her, and the seed was anointed at his baptism, and the seed spent 40 days in the wilderness. Some of you are on day, who's fasting right now on day 20? Who's daydreaming about food? 
I, I normally like watch sports things. I, I'm just watching chefs on Instagram every day right now. Like fan, lusting after brownies right now. And the serpent after four, not even 20 days, 40 days he comes to, to Jesus. And the battle is again. He tests Satan three ways. He goes, if you're really the son of God, strike this rock and, and, and turn into food. If you're really the son of God, jump off this temple and have the angels catch you. And if you're really the son of God, listen, bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus responds in a way that blows my mind the more I think about it. Look what Jesus says. It is written. It is written. It is written. This man has 10,000, 10 billion angels at his disposal. He could have any legion of angels push Satan away. He could have, have, have them door dash from heaven, food, manna from heaven. He has the authority and the power that created the world to do anything he wants. And he uses the authority of Scripture. Why? Because to Jesus, the Bible is supreme. Listen, there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes from 29 of them. In Jesus' ministry, he said, it is written 30 times. Because to the scriptures, this is the most authoritative thing in the universe. He didn't go to a blog. He didn't go to a TikTok. He didn't go to some seminary. Listen, this is not, I'm not saying this in a negative way. He didn't go to some denomination and get their statement of faith. He didn't go to the Nicene Creed, even though those are good things. He said, it is written. My question for you is, do you hold the scriptures above, every, above your college professors, above your friends, above your friends, above your, your, your spouse, above culture? No matter what you hear, no matter what the present says, is this, for Jesus, this was the, the high, above even Satan. He said, this is supreme. And every time he said, it is written, he revealed a different aspect of how the scriptures, what it meant to him. When God, when Satan said, if you're hungry, strike the rock and turn it into bread, Jesus showed that, that, that even if you're fasting for 20 days or you're fasting for 40 or you're like the, the Israelites, you're in the desert for 40 years, man will not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why? Because there ain't no high like the most high. And he said, if you're really the son of God, prove it. Jump off this cliff and let the angels catch you. And Jesus, he said, it is written. And he, he quoted Psalm 91 that God will protect you. And Deuteronomy 29 says, do not tempt the Lord your God. And Jesus held both of these things at the same time. Scripture isn't clumsy. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. To Jesus, it was the highest authority. And he could hold the tension of both. He said, I won't, I won't, I won't test my God because my God will protect me. And then he showed his, his submission to the scriptures as the highest authority. Jesus said, Satan, Jesus, Satan came to Jesus and says, obey me. Obey me. And Jesus said, no matter what I'll do in life, I will never obey anyone other than God. I wrote down like this. Maybe this will help you. Jesus loved the word of God with his heart being satisfied by, with his mind in understanding it, and his will in obeying it. And what's so crazy to me is that deconstructionist, you know what their number one argument is? Did God say? Whereas a Christian says, it is written. My question is, who are you going to quote more, Satan or Jesus? Because according to Jesus, this was supreme. This was the highest authority in his life. When push comes to shove, what's the highest authority in your life? Is it what the Democratic Party says, the Republican Party says? Is it what your college professor says? Maybe it's your, what your grandma or your spouse says. To Jesus, no one had more authority than this. It is written. Number two, 
you're taking notes. Jesus said the Bible is challenging. And if you've never been to center, I just need to warn you, this one's going to make your butt clench. You're welcome. You're going to work out in Jesus in the same day. But Jesus doesn't just say it's supreme. It's challenging. Someone say challenging. What's, what's crazy is that I have been studying this book for the last 20 years, and there are very intelligent men that will look at the same verses, the same things, and they'll come with two different interpretations. Because often we don't realize that the Bible is written in a different language and a different culture than ours. The Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. And I remember reading this next verse, even though it's not Jesus, it helped me so much. It's, it's the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, 2 Peter 3, verse 16. Paul talks about these same things in all his letters, but part of what he says is hard. Someone say hard. Hard. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. I'm not the only public school fool that's trying to figure this out. But that's not the debate. The debate is not where the Bible is unclear and we debate. The Bible is the debate today, the rage today, the fight today is where the Bible is abundantly clear. And we just don't want to accept it. And the three big ones are these three. Sex and sexuality, miracles, and God's judgment. And the average person I speak to, like, Pastor, like, oh my gosh, I went to, to, to college. There's no way. Come on, that's way too archaic. You gotta, you gotta, it's the 21st century. You, you got to update this. You, you can't expect me to live like the way that they live, and they're basically telling me that this is broken, this is old, and that modern thought is, is greater than God's thoughts. And I remember reading this book by Tom Holland called Dominion. He's an atheist trying to understand why is the world so much better than it was in the first century. How did we get here? Look what his words he says. While studying the ancient world, Tom Holland writes, he realized something. Simply, the, ancient, the ancients were cruel. Their values utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for physical pleasure with those in power. Infanticide was common. The poor and weak had zero rights. And the question is, how do we get there to here? Tom Holland said, it is Christianity. Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibit all forms of rape. Christianity confined sexuality with, within monogamy. This is an atheist speaking. He says, it is ironic that these very standards are now which Christianity is decried. And there's this push, we should change it because it's old and outdated and archaic. People challenge it. Maybe it's miracles. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson, when he was in the White House, he would read the miracles of Jesus and he didn't like them. So he took an exacto knife and he cut out parts of the Bible because he was a modern man. He didn't want the miracles. And many of you do that to the scriptures. When it challenges you, you cut it out. But Jesus didn't. What about judgment? The third one, judgment. I was reading a book by, by a, name, a Jewish man named Frank Mortal. He was... In the concentration camps, in his whole life, he was an atheist. And then he experienced the atrocity of, of Hitler and the evil. And he said, I'm now a believer in God. Because the evil is so great, this can't be human origin. And in the, the 40s, the, the argument was not, is evil, is sin real? They rejected, listen, forgiveness and mercy. Today, after 90 years of, of basically pleasure and goodness, we reject hell and sin. And we, we elevate two verses in the Bible, God is love. And we want to throw out the 800 verses that said God is wrath. 
what I want to do is I want to show you why Jesus says the Bible is challenging. And it's going to challenge some of you. And he's going to tell us why it is challenging. This is in Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and any reason? And Jesus says, haven't you read, a.k.a. it is written. And look what he says. Jesus doesn't give us a new teaching. He quotes an old teaching. That in the beginning, the creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And they will no longer be two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This last year, I had, uh, we, this last year twice, we did a collection talk. It's called You Asked For It. And the number one most asked questions two years in a row is, what is Jesus about LGBT? And so to prepare for those two sermons, I had to study, went to mentors, and uh, it was crazy the, the amount of books that are non-affirming and the growing number of books that are. And there are, if you read the scriptures, there's 30 verses on marriage, and, and what's crazy is that Jesus doesn't give us any new teachings. He literally quotes an old teaching. And there's only six verses in the Bible that even touch the subject, and people always ask, why? Why didn't Jesus make it clear? And it's obvious he doesn't need to. Because if he was going to teach you something new, he would say something new. But he didn't. So he just quoted what he said 4,000 years ago. And said, haven't you read? And people always push back. No, 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 Pastor Ali. When I go to Facebook, there are 32 genders. And the CDC says oh, there are different things. And did you know in the days of Jesus, the first century, there were, the Talmud, that there were eight genders? People think Jesus didn't interact with these people that struggle with gender identity. He did. Jesus interacted with transgender people. Jesus interacted with non-binary people. He interacted with lesbians and gays. And in that context, and to those people, he said, the way I made you was male and female. That's preeminent. And I know why you don't want to receive it. Look what Jesus says next. Matthew 19, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, a.k.a. I told you the truth and you didn't want it because the Bible says things that are challenging. And you want Jesus to change the scriptures, but Jesus came to change you. Jesus is saying, listen, this is the supreme authority and it is challenging. And you have a question. You have a response. Will you let it challenge you or will you challenge it? Will you change your values or will you look for a church that matches your values? And this is what the problem that Eve had. She's, she lived her life by her feelings. And Jesus says, no, there's something more supreme than your feelings. It's called it is written. And when you don't listen to Jesus in the same way that Eve faced death, our culture is facing death. Let me give you some statistics. I, I was blown away by this. That 90% of people in America that are transitioning to a different gender are 13 to 16-year-old girls. Which is crazy because they're on puberty blockers and they're, they're often removing their breasts. And Maybe you think I'm transphobic for saying this, but what's, what's hidden in our culture is that 95% of these little girls are detransitioning within five years. They, they go, I made a mistake. And I can't, I, I actually was that, and their voices, now they're labeled transphobic, and no one knows about them. And what's crazy is that 
no one mentions this, but the average hospital makes a million dollars per kid who, who, who transfers. Listen, when I was 14, I wanted to be a football player. I'm like Ethiopian. <laughs> I didn't know who I was. 13-year-old girls don't know who they are. They, they cry when they see Justin Bieber. Oh, my God. And you're letting them make a permanent decision on a temporary emotion. And Jesus says, if you trust me above your emotions, you'll find life. The Bible, according to Jesus, is challenging. I want to read you this quote. It says, whenever scripture challenges some deeply held belief, as it often does, we have a choice. We can challenge the Bible or we can let the Bible challenge us. Jesus chose to do this. I submit. Even when I don't agree, even when my feelings don't agree, I, the Bible is challenging. And it's not my job to change it. It's, it's my job to let it change me. The question is, do you let the scriptures do that to you? Number three, the, Jesus says the scripture is the Bible is enough. Someone say enough. Anyone remember what life was like before Amazon Prime? Man, when I was like 21 in college, I was the most, like, I don't even know how to use the word. I would maximize everything. I would literally, I was broke. I would cut up the toothpaste tube and scrape out with my, my toothbrush. When the soap ran out, I would add water and shake. Some of you are ratchet and you still do that, right? I did everything I could not to have to go to the store and buy more because it was annoying. I didn't have a car. Yet I would want to make one trip to get everything at once. Today, the world is so different. I could run out of toothpaste, Amazon Prime. If I run out of soap, Amazon Prime. As much as I love Amazon, I think Amazon Prime is the next best thing to slice bread, by the way. But there's one thing about Amazon Prime I don't like. It's that when you want to buy anything, you've got to buy like three of them. You gotta buy three toothpaste. You gotta buy three deodorants. And the problem is, I am so forgetful. I'll, I'll buy toothpaste and then I'll put one in the bathroom and I'll go to the garage and I realize there's already four there. We have enough Q tips for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Don't tell Pastor Yaz. But we have Q tips until my girls get married. And the problem is, what I have is enough, I just don't see it that way. We do the same thing with the scriptures. We're embarrassed by it. We think it's antiquated, old, lacking, and so we want a miracle. We want God to give our husband a dream. Then they'll believe. And Jesus says, you don't need that. This is enough. Someone say enough. Jesus taught 40 times in the scriptures different parables. Parables were stories where he would teach a truth through a story. But there was one parable that is the scariest of all the parables because he, he used a name. I love the story of, uh, of the ten bridesmaids, right? Jesus told them to pull an all-nighter. Five had Red Bulls. Five didn't. He says, kick those five who didn't stay up all night out of the wedding. It's like, whoa, what a crazy story, right? Or one time Jesus has a, a wedding and invites everyone and one dude shows up in a and a bad outfit and throws the guy in hell. It's like, dude, what? Often these parables are like backwards. Crazy stories. So the story of the, the prodigal son, he leaves, he comes home, he does this big celebration, but his older brother's a sourpuss, this face, doesn't want to come to the party. Then Jesus tells a parable of a, a dude named Lazarus. Someone say Lazarus. Lazarus. It's the only time in the four Gospels Jesus uses someone's name in a parable. 
many theologians believe Lazarus is a real person. And tells the story of Lazarus is poor, sits outside, panhandling, and there's a rich man who is so rich, he's blinded to his nakedness and his blindness. And they both die. And now they're in the afterlife. And the, the guy who is suffering in hell is like, please give me water. And then look what he says. Luke chapter 15, verse 24. He answered, I beg you, Father, he's speaking to Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so many of them will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. I need something more than the Bible. It's not enough. And Abraham, this is Jesus speaking, if do not listen to Moses and the prophets, which is the Old Testament, they will not be convinced if someone else rises from the dead. What Jesus is saying is you want a miracle, you want something supernatural, you want the cop not to give you the ticket when you drive by 100 miles an hour. You want like, like a supernatural healing for your relative. You want the arm to grow out. You want your spouse to have a dream. And Jesus says, you're missing it. This is enough. Stop being embarrassed by it. This is enough. Someone say enough. I remember reading a, a, or listening to a podcast by this atheist. And he was sitting down with one of his close friends who was a Christian who experienced a miracle. And the atheist says, I refuse to believe. Even though I know you're not a liar, even though you're a man of integrity, the miracle that happened for you doesn't count. It has to happen for me. Because we think incorrectly that if I see a miracle, if I experience a miracle, then I will believe. And Jesus says, no, you won't. No, you won't. Watch what he says in Luke chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except for the sign of Jonah. I already told you who Jonah is. You already have the scriptures. Jesus says, you would like a miracle, but you don't need a miracle. Faith doesn't grow on miracles. You don't need a cop not to give you a ticket after you drive past 100 miles an hour. You don't need a sick relative to be supernaturally healed. You don't need a dream about God. You don't need to hear an audible voice of God. The Bible is enough. The Bible is enough. Those are the words of Jesus. And let me prove it to you. In the Old Testament, Moses leads a, hunt, a million Israelites out of slavery into the promised land for 40 years. Do you know how many miracles Moses performed in the first five books of the Bible, 42. You would think that these people have like massive faith. If I just see one, I'll be like a super Christian. If I have 42, I'm gonna like walk on water, bro. There were a million Christians who saw, a million Israelites who saw 42 miracles to develop faith to go into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, because I wrote it like this, miracles don't build faith, the word of God does. Faith doesn't come by seeing. It comes by hearing. I wish it came by eating because I would have great faith. <laughs> but it comes from hearing the word of God. For you, is the Bible weak, outdated, anemic, lacking what you need? Jesus would say, you need to change your view because this is enough. This can save your spouse. This can reach your neighbor. This can reach your coworker who doesn't believe. He doesn't need a miracle. He needs this. Because according to Jesus, the Bible is enough. Someone say it's enough. Yeah. Number four, the Bible, Jesus said the Bible is unbreakable. Someone say unbreakable. unbreakable. Uh, many of you, I hope, know this. Jesus died on a cross. 
but his life wasn't taken. He laid it down willingly. And what most people don't realize is there was more than one assassination attempt on his life. They tried to kill Jesus multiple times. And in the last winter of Jesus' life, this is the winter time, Jesus already said things like, I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, and I am, before Abraham was, I am. And uh, the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes, they come to Jesus and say, who are you really? And what, look what Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Bro, I'm God. And look what the scripture says. It says, again, someone say again. His Jewish opponents picked up stones. This is not the first time they tried to kill him. They tried to stone him twice, tried to throw him off a cliff once. This is the, the, the multiple assassination, assassination attempts on his life. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? The dude doesn't even flinch. Imagine a crowd picks up stones to kill you. I would run. I would pick up a shield. The Bible would say, Pastor Ali was afraid. Jesus doesn't even, this guy has ice in his veins. And look what they say. But for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Watch what Jesus says next. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I have said you are God's. I just need to pause for a moment because what's, what's happening here is Jesus is quoting Psalm 82. And Psalm 82, David is talking about some kings who are righteous, who lead very well. And he says, these guys, in one sense, are like gods. And no one has a problem with David calling men gods. Even though we know they're not. So why do you have a problem with me calling myself God when I do things greater than those kings? It's a master class on Silencio Bruno, by the way. And if you're not getting what Jesus is saying is the scriptures can't be broken. I did not come to break the law. I came to fulfill it. The Bible's not broken. The Bible doesn't need to be changed. The Bible isn't wrong. Listen, the Bible is unbreakable. It is perfect. And notice that no one stops Jesus when they say he's unbreakable. In that culture, in that time, they all believed it was perfect. Do you know what they argued? If Jesus was the son of God. And it's crazy to me. 2,000 years later, it's flipped. Everyone believed Jesus is God, but everyone thinks this Bible's broken. Who, which preacher will you listen to? It is written, or did God really say? And your answer will determine the life that you live. According to Jesus, since God has spoken through Scripture, it's a quote, then any argument that leads to the conclusion that Scripture is broken in some way, no matter how convincing it sounds, must be wrong, end of story. When someone says, there's no way Jonah was in the belly of a fish. There's no way, bro. When someone says, there's no way that Noah got all those animals into the ark. Listen, I think of all the miracles in the Bible, that's the greatest. Let me tell you why. It takes an hour for my kids to put on their shoes and get in the car. <laughs> How in the world did Noah get thousands of animals in his car? This is greater than walking on water. This is greater than to get your kids to get in the car like that. That's a miracle, bro. And we say, no, 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 there's no way. The Bible, it, it must be telling us a parable. It's broken. It's not real. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The scriptures are unbreakable. And what I love about the sledgehammer that is God's word is, is not only is it unbreakable, not only does it break the, the lies of our culture, it can break things off in your life. The word of God is unbreakable for a reason. Because it can break your addictions. It can break strongholds in your life. When you believe that this is unbreakable, your life is different. 
Look what, there's a statistic. Studies show that, the, that people who read their Bible four times a week, this is not one time a week, not two times a week, not even three. Something shifts when you read it four times a week. Loneliness drops 38%. Anger drops 32%. Bitterness in relationships drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant drops 60%. Viewing porn drops 61%. Watch this. Sharing your faith increases 200%. Discipling others, 238%. Why? Because the word of God is unbreakable. It breaks addictions. It breaks strongholds. It breaks fear. It breaks bitterness. It can break anything in your life. My question for you is, do you see the scriptures the way that Jesus does? As supreme even when it challenges you, as enough, and listen, perfect, perfect. Number four, number five, excuse me, if I can get Mark on the keys, Jesus said the Bible is from God. Probably the most quoted scripture I hear from, from people, oh, all scripture is God-breathed, that's right. I'm going to give you a verse that you don't have to quote that anymore, because Jesus says it even better. Uh, anyone grew up in the, in the 80s? I'm a kid that's the greatest generation, by the way. If you're born in a later generation, you're, it's not as cool. But in the 80s, if you wanted to watch something fun on Fridays, you had three options. Blockbuster. Rest in peace, Blockbuster. We miss you. <laughs> TGIF. Remember TGIF? And if you stayed up late with your parents, it was 2020. I remember as an eight, nine-year-old, I was, I love Barbara Walters. She was the original G, bro. She would silence people. She would ask these questions. She'd come after you. I want to be like her. She's awesome. Do you know who's the greatest interviewer of all time? Jesus. Because if he cross-examined you, bless your warm heart, you're in trouble. Look what Jesus says. Matthew 22, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Look what they say. The son of David, they replied. He said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, this is in Psalms, calls him Lord? Listen, what Jesus is saying is... Many of the people in the Bible, when they're talking about their great-great-grandchildren, they, they may say great things about them, but none of them say that person is Lord. So clearly David's not talking about his great-great-great-grandson. He's talking about someone, someone that's greater than him. He's not a man. He's more than a man. So who, who is David talking about? Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can this be his son? And watch what happens to the Pharisees. No one could say a word in reply. From that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is a master class on how Jesus views the scriptures. And I read the best quote in that verse, and you missed it. And I'll read it to you again. Matthew 22, verse 43 then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, someone say, speaking by the Spirit. Do you know what Jesus is saying right here? He's saying this isn't a book about God. This isn't a book written for God. This isn't even a book. This is a book with God. 
more than any other verse in the Bible, Jesus is showing you his understanding of divine inspiration. I wrote down like this. David is not speaking from his own experience. David isn't speaking in line with the way he views God at the time. Nor is David, on the other hand, writing down dictation as God is proclaiming things out loud. Nor is David writing down what he sees written in the sky. This is God and David writing at the same time. It's with God. This is inspired. The question is, do you see it that way? Anybody here love jazz music? Jazz music. I knew my wife would raise her hand. And it's a pain point for me because when we go on road trips, I want EDM. <laughs> and she wants jazz music. And we compromise and we listen to jazz music. Every good husband said, what? Amen. That's right. But if you were to watch, if you were to be in the room with Louis Armstrong, and let's say I had like 14 different instruments, the trumpet, the saxophone, all, and he was playing all these different instruments, you would never say, where is the sound coming from? You would know it's him blowing. His, his breath and his tone alone couldn't make that sound. In the same breath, it could not be the saxophone making it sound itself. It is the instrument and the musician together. Someone say together. God is the, the musician. And his breath, the pneuma, the ruach of God is breathing through the instruments, 42 different authors of the scriptures. And just like jazz music, it takes two. Scripture takes two. And we can quote all scriptures God breathed, but long before Paul said that, Jesus said, the scriptures are from God. Do you believe that? According to Jesus, watch this quote. According to Jesus, the Bible is authoritative. It is supreme. Someone say supreme. It is the eternal word of God, which is why he says it is written. It is alone the final authority in determining all doctrinal truths. In its original writings, it is inspired, infallible, and inerrant. This is not because Albert Moeller wrote a book on inerrancy. This is not because some denomination declares the Bible perfect. This is because Jesus says it is. Do you see the scriptures the way that Jesus does? Which preacher do you listen to? The first one that says it is written or the second one that says, did God really say? One brings life. One brings death. One brings you closer to God. One separates you from God. One will bless your life, and one will curse it. Last one, if I get the worship team to come up. Number six, Jesus said, the Bible is about him. Someone say him. In John 5, Jesus has just healed the dude by a pool, and he says, and a father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does he, his word, dwell in you. For you do not believe the, the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because in them you think you have life, eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Someone say me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Most people don't realize the Bible is not just enough. It's not just challenging. It's not just supreme. It's not just unbreakable. It's not just from God. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And when Jesus died on Friday and resurrected on Sunday, the way he reveals himself is so 
antithesis to the way. You know, if I had resurrected, you know what I'd do? I would, I would do it during the Super Bowl. Not during the halftime show because no one's watching Rihanna. Come on. I would do it in the first quarter when everyone's wanting to watch, like, the best commercials, right? I'd fly down from a helicopter and jump out of a parachute and be like, ah, alive, what's up? <laughs> Jesus does the exact opposite. He goes on a seven-mile walk with two disciples who are wondering where Jesus went. This is road to Emmaus. These two Jews are walking away from Jerusalem, away from the promise, away from the resurrection. And it's crazy to me that Jesus couldn't wait to reveal to them that Jesus was the centrality of Scripture, but it could wait that he had resurrected. Because that was more important. Look what it says in Luke 24. And he said to them, this is like after seven miles of walking, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I think this is the greatest sermon we've never heard. Jesus, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures. Someone say all the scriptures. I did a Greek study. The word all in, in Greek, surprisingly, it means all in English. All the scriptures. All of it. All of it. You want red letter Bible? Dip the whole thing in blood. All the scriptures concerning himself. And then Luke 24, 45. Then he opened up their minds so they could understand the scriptures. If you read the Bible mainly about Israel, about you, it's like reading the, the Bible with a cold heart and eyes shut. But when you discover it's mainly about Jesus, God's purposes for the nations are through him, your heart catches fire and your eyes are opened. In the last five years, I've probably done six or seven weddings in our church. And I love when couples on their anniversary are like, oh my gosh, this is my boo. Right? And then they'll post a picture of their wedding day, and like nine, nine, ten times, I'm in the photo. Like, I have like the worst picture face. <laughs> and think how foolish you would be of like, oh my gosh, look at my wedding. As if the Bible's about me. I'm just in the background. And that's what we do with the scriptures. We think it's about us. And Jesus wants to teach all of us, it ain't about you. It's about me. Jesus is the new Adam, the one who passed the test in the garden by submitting the will of his father. He crushed the snake. He gave his life to death rather than death to the living. Jesus is the new Eve, the ancestor of all life, through whom the promised rescue would finally come. Jesus is the new Abel, whose blood announces the family feud, murder, and death are out of the way, and that subsequent generations will be acquitted rather than condemned. Jesus is the new Enoch, who knows God, walks with God, is not subject to the power of the grave. Jesus is the new Jonah, who finds favor in the eyes of the Lord and whom humans are rescued from the judgment they deserve. Jesus is the new Abraham, who trusts God, leaves his homeland and starts a new nation and ends up inheriting the descendants. Jesus is the new Isaac, the miraculous child, offered as a sacrifice, miraculous out of obedience to God and rescued from death. Jesus is the new Jacob, who saw heaven opened, received the promises and wrestled in obedience to God. Jesus is the new Jonah, praised by his brothers, victorious over his enemies, in whom the whole world finds tribute and obedience. Jesus knew Joseph, the beloved son who was sold as a price of a slave, abandoned and left for dead, but whose remains faithful and yet gets lifted up to the right hand of the King of the Lord. And that's just in the book of Genesis. 
The Bible ain't about you. According to Jesus, it is the highest authority in my life. And when it challenges me, I choose to submit. It is enough. I don't need miracles. I have the scriptures. It, 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 it is unbreakable. It is perfect. And then when I think it's broken, it's because I'm broken. And I need it to break things in my life. And God, man didn't put this together. God breathed into life. And when I read it, I get closer to him. If I can get you to stand for a moment. I want to end with his last story. I had the privilege of being part of a ministry that saw a million Muslims come to faith in 20 years. And most of these Muslims, none of them had the scriptures. And my favorite story is a guy named Ali. Same name as me, not me though. And he was in the Middle East. And he, he travels to Mecca on his fifth trine, wanting to be close to God. And the night before they, at Muslims, what they do is they would go around the, the Hadith or the Hijab or whatever, multiple times, wanting to get close to God. And the night before, he has a dream. And Jesus says, follow me. And this man gets up. This story always makes me emotional. He gets up and leaves and tells his wife, Jesus told me to follow. He's, he's not a prophet. The problem was he didn't have the Bible. And he continued to beat his wife and his kids for two months. And then, by the providence of God, a missionary comes. Do you want a Bible? And this man says, I would love one. In two weeks, and within two weeks, this man is on his knees, repenting to his wife. At that point, for the first two months of his salvation, zero people in his village got saved. Two weeks after getting his Bible, the whole village gets saved because they saw the change in him. God didn't give us this so you could change it. He gave us this so he could change you. I want you to repeat after me. This is my, if you have your Bible, I want you to raise it up. If not, just put your hand on your heart. Someone say, this is my Bible. This is going to sound familiar to some of you older Christians. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today I was taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. I receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living Word of God. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can bow your heads, let me close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for last night that you gave us a, a, a fresh anointing of the Spirit, God. But God, we can't just be Spirit-filled. We need proper doctrine, God. We need orthodoxy to get orthopraxy. And God, we, we love your Spirit. We need your Spirit. But God, we need to see the Scriptures the way that you do. I pray, Jesus, that every person in this room who can hear the sound of my voice, that they would love your scriptures. They would submit to your scriptures. They would allow the Bible to challenge them the way that you said it should. That the Bible is supreme. That the Bible is enough. The Bible is challenging. The Bible is unbreakable. The Bible is from God and the Bible is about Jesus. That I would walk out of this room different. That my view of scripture would change. That I would stop being embarrassed by it. I would stop apologizing for it. I would stop wanting something else, Jesus. But that it is enough. 
that is the, the greatest gift outside of salvation, that you reveal your will for me, that I can know your, your plans for me, I can know the plans of righteousness for me. All wisdom and understanding come from the scriptures, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave me an orphan to try to figure it out by myself, God, but you gave me the scriptures because you wanted me to live life and life abundantly, God. And even if I become Christian, it's not enough. I need the scriptures to change. The Bible's perfect and it's unbreakable. Thank you, Jesus, that you break addictions. You break fear. You break depression. Thank you, Jesus, that it breaks the hardest thing in the universe, the human heart. God, soften my heart. I pray for every person that can hear the sound of my voice, Lord. That we would love the scriptures the way you love them. We would see them the way that you see them. Do you believe that everybody said? Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you want to follow us on social media and just stay up to our current events, our social media handle is Bold Church SV. That's Bold Church SV for Silicon Valley. We hope you stay blessed and we'll see you soon. Thank you.